You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jen. Hey, everyone. It's Michael Jamman. I'm back with Phil Hudson for another episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This, at least until we rename the podcast. We're, we're toying with that idea to open mm. it up, but I don't have an idea yet. I don't have a name yet. So for now, this is what we're going with, everyone. That's news to people. I don't think people know that yet. So no, it's, it's news. because leaking a little hint. I'm leaking a hint. And it's because I want to uh, open up the, um, the conversations a little to broaden out. So it's not just about screenwriting, but also about people who are interested in uh, the arts and and reinventing themselves and, and uh, you know, just putting it out there. So we're, we're going to hang on to that. But for now, we're going to keep talking about this subject. But it, it, we'll still, I'll still talk about screenwriting. So don't, no one to panic. I'm still going to talk about screenwriting. I just want to open yeah. up to more inspirational and, art stuff. And I think for you, you know, two years into the podcast, it started as a thing uh, during COVID to help people out with this specific space but your social media has grown to include all creatives and a large percentage of the content that people are consuming on your social media. uh, Forgive me for calling it content, but um, that is being consumed by people who are more in the creative fields. We have people who've signed up for your screenwriting course who are financial analysts and they write about finance and they talk about the value of story and story structure. we got artists, novelists, all kinds of people. And so, yeah, I, this makes sense to me, especially as you've kind of outgrown the persona of just being a TV writer and being more of a creative, inspirational figure in the space. Yeah, so that's what that's what the plan is. But until then, uh, we're sticking with this name. But okay, everyone. So today, I thought we would talk about uh, the, the title of today's episode is "What the hell is a producer?" Because no one knows. Uh, yeah. It's like one of these terms in Hollywood that everyone it can mean so many different things. It's unclear exactly what a producer does. And I think everyone, when I post on social media, everyone gets it wrong. So like we know what a writer does, the writer writes, we know what an actor does. We think we know what a director does, but often people get that wrong, but okay, that could be another episode. But as far as a producer, it means so many different things. So I'm gonna break it down and you're gonna help me with this, Phil. First, we're gonna take a, a step back. So right now the Writers Guild is on strike against the producers, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or the AMPTP. So that's very misleading. It sounds mm-hmm. like we are striking against producers, but we're not. In this sense, the producers are the studios. Right. So think about Warner Brothers, Universal, Sony, uh, you know, Netflix, big, big, Amazon, yeah, Apple. So they produce film and television shows. So we are striking against the producers of film and television shows, but we are not striking against film and television show producers. Which would be I know that's confusing. PGA, right? Is that where you're going? Right, right. So that would be, when you think of the uh, the PGA, sometimes you watch a film and it says someone's name, PGA, that's the Producers Guild of America. So those are people who are producers, they work on the show or the movie that's being made. So yep. anytime you have a film or a television show, you have a production staff and they are there every day and they are so on a tv show in particular the writers will dream up a sequence or a scene or whatever it is and then the produ- they'll sit down with the producers whose offices are right next door and say can we make this happen your job we thought of it but now you have to actually make it happen and sometimes yeah. they say we can't <laughs> you have to you're going to break the bank and sometimes they say okay we can do this so and those people are producers and Okay, so but that's in, that's in TV. I'm going to talk more about TV well, first. And there's a note too here too about the PGA. I don't know if you're going to touch on this, but they are yeah. not a union. That is basically a group of people who have kind of unified, or they've they've basically agreed to be an association. But because they are technically employers, they cannot unionize. Oh, really? And so, are you in the PGA? I think I'm eligible, but I have not joined. I've not right. pursued it, but it's it's definitely open. But don't you get your don't they help provide uh, health insurance? I, I believe Pension. it is that the DGA and PGA have, yeah. a, they've pooled. So they've basically, these producers have agreed to pay into these funds and do these things to provide pension and health care for their members. But the difference is they are not effectively a union. Yeah. Like I think legally they cannot be a union. So t- the term guild can be a bit confusing, right? Because there's the WGA, which is a union. Not really. Also... The guild, I don't think the WGA is considered a, a union. It's considered really? a I guild. Think, I thought they were. I thought that's why they're able to strike because they are unionized. I don't know. 
I think we that's the collective bargaining is that by definition, mm. definition of the union. I thought there's yeah, some great point. We I thought there's some. I thought there's some. Uh, whatever. I thought there's some differences, slight differences. But okay. So now we're going to talk about producers. It's of two different unions. So it's the East and the West combined forces. So they're two different unions that are working together. In what? Oh, in, in that, the writers as, Guild? Yes. So the Writers Guild East is a union, and the Writers Guild mm -hmm. West is a union, and then they join, and that's the guild. Right. That's oh, okay. what they represented, two different unions. So when we talk about producers on a TV show, it's all, this is so unclear, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to clear it up, and it's going to be still confusing. So producers, on, like I said, on a TV show, their job is to, for the most part, make it happen like make whatever we dream up make it happen so if we set a scene that takes place in an amusement park the producer's like okay uh how are we gonna shoot there how are we gonna we're gonna, first we gotta rent that amusement park we have to move the cameras there we have to buy the you know we have to license we have to buy the space out and that's producing it if you want special effects they're gonna have to make sure all those people uh are, are there on the set that day to you know they coordinate the whole damn thing and there's many different levels of producers. The line producer is the one who deals with mostly making sure we're on budget, making sure we're, you know, and then there's also like you are, you're an associate producer. What's your job as an associate producer? Yeah, so the title associate producer came up this season. It was recommended by a, a, an actual producer, Savvy, um, Kathy, it's Kathy or Kathy, I always mess up her last name, but Savvy's awesome. She's A24 and she, they were trying to figure out a, a title for my new role. And there are specific titles they can't use because they are managed by unions. So like facilities mm -hmm. manager, things like that. And in um, basically live TV, anyone who manages the stages or the set or kind of controls things on the ground, that's an associate producer title. So mm -hmm. she's the one who encouraged everyone to give me that title. And my role was very much, I was an assistant to the producers. I kind of handled anything that they wanted to delegate down. I had their authority to make things happen. So mm -hmm. like my first day I fired somebody because mm -hmm. they, that person was breaking rules. Um, and I had to do that. I handled plumber issues. I handled facility issues. I was in charge of making sure that the, everything got cleaned. If someone needed something, it was my responsibility to make sure that that got coordinated with the production office. So it was basically a liaison between the producers and, and the other people and the rest of the, um, the set. One thing that I found funny is there's this, um, and I've, I might have talked about it on the podcast, so forgive me if it's redundant, but there was, you know who Jordan is on Conan, Conan's show? He's one of his, he, his associate producer. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So his skit came out of, I believe this came out of hearing it from Conan. It came out of the last writer strike where they couldn't had didn't have anything. And one of the other producers was like, you know, Jordan, you have such interesting interactions with him maybe you should just record those because they're just fascinating to watch mm -hmm. so he became a figure on the show and he had jordan on a podcast and conan's like what is your title he's like well i've had many titles he's like but what is your title currently and he's like it is associate producer and conan goes if there has ever been a more meaningless title in all of television right. it's associate producer <laughs> it's right like, that feels accurate it's it's like a it's an honorary title you get respect on set people respect your your what you say but it doesn't really come with many perks <laughs> right sometimes it might just be a catch-all for something that they don't yeah. know what to when i was i started my job i started my career as a uh, a joke writer on the mike and maddie show which is a morning tv show and i was a writer so i used to write jokes but they didn't want to pay me if they had called me a writer they would have had to pay me writer's guild minimum and so instead they didn't want to give me that title they just called me a segment producer instead yep. and so they could pay me less so but my job i suppose was producing segments of Tell it like you know each, each the yeah. morning TV show and so the segment I was in charge of was the the morning chat when the hosts are just talking from the camera and they're making jokes about stuff and then also when sometimes we would do remote segments like we did one thing where Doctor Ruth was giving them a tour of like the, some sex uh, you know store and uh, so I was there on site just pitching jokes for the sex toys right so I was a producer. Yeah, but I really what, did. I really know how to produce. Nah, it's really rare. no. But but that's a very typical thing, even from like cable shows, morning shows on cable. You know that those are paid, those are producers. You have producer titles. So my friend's sister was dating a producer on on the Late Show, and he was a producer. But what was he? Yeah. He was effectively a joke writer. He wrote right. jokes for the show, and he was responsible. But I know people in like Utah and New Mexico who are producers, and like they're segment producer. They go out and they like we're we're interviewing the person who makes the largest cookie in America. Like right. that's, they make sure it gets done. That's it. Right. 
Now, here's where it gets a little confusing in TV. If you watch a TV show, you'll often see many titles that have the word producer in it, like co-producer, um, uh, co-executive producer, supervising producer, executive producer. Many of those people are just mid to high level writers who don't really have the same functions. They don't do the same jobs as the producers do who work next door who actually make it happen. So there is, there's no, there's really is no overlap in the job responsibilities, but the, the job responsibility of say executive producer, who is probably also the showrunner would be, uh, and also maybe some lower producers like supervising producer. You might be in charge of casting. You might have some editing responsibilities. You may, you also have to know how to, when you, when you write the whole season, you often will say, is this producible? And that's what that comes with um, uh, experience. So for example, if I was on a show and we're breaking seasons, uh, episodes one through 10, and I see too many locations, it's my job as let's say a co-executive producer to say, we don't need all these, we can combine scenes or locations here. We can be more efficient, even though I'm not actually producing it. That's I'm, I'm wearing my producer's hat that yeah. we say. so. Uh, so that does that, so just don't know, know that it's not not all producers on a show are actually in the on the production side. We're also yeah, I had a I had a friend who was an actor, and she made a comment once. She's like, you know, all those producers at the front of a show are just writers, don't you? And I was like, that sounds great. I would like that. Yeah. Um, but the term for a co EP, which is what you and your writing partner are on Tacoma FD, and have been many times, you you are my understanding of this is you're effectively qualified to run the show. And often need to do that when the the executive producer is off on set or dealing with a casting thing or managing a yeah. calls with them. So you're running the room, you're making sure it happens. And I've heard that term referred to as the strong number two. Yeah, the number that. two. Yeah. 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 So you're the boss. You're there to make sure that the ship stays going. I mean, yeah, it's, it's basically the showrunner is the captain. You're the first mate. You're, you yeah, take over you're... when they need a rest or break and you have the same authority to get things done. Yeah, basically. So those are those are our producers. Now, there's a there's a common misconception that produce. Sometimes people think in TV that film that that producers are the people who just who raise the money. You know, they put together the money for the project. I want to assure you, with we don't touch a nickel up. It's like we don't spend our own money. The studio, the studios are the ones who are in charge of raising the money. It's their money. So like you never, we never open our wallets. I don't. There's only only in rare exceptions. So for example. I've been on, involved in projects where the someone might be an executive producer and they may put together let's say ten or fifteen thousand dollars to shoot a presentation, which is like a, a down and dirty pilot, a cheap pilot just as a sales tool. But they won't spend a lot of money. It's it's like very little. They're not investing. You know, a TV show might cost a million dollars to shoot. We're talking about ten or fifteen just to just to put it on his feet just to show people what kind of what it looks like. And, and this doesn't even happen a lot. For the most part, when TV executive producers are not in charge of raising money, they don't touch it. it we work for the studios. The studios, it's their money that we're playing with. So yeah. get that out of your head. We're not, it's not a money position in television. And I think this is a, another def definition thing too, where it can also be confusing because there is often another executive producer who is that guy. Who is doing that at the studio? They get that title. Well, right? they don't usually get the title. They don't usually get okay. that title at the studio. So they, they, that's that's the catch. They don't get a title. I, they work I thought for the I've studio. seen. I think they, they might have a production deal, or which is a, a pod. So, for example, often this is why it's so confusing. Often a, a producer will have what we call a shingle at a studio. So the studio, Warner Brothers, is paying their overhead. They give them a pod, which is a producer overall deal. And they say for two or three years, you have a pod at the studio where you will help uh, develop TV shows. You'll find writers. You'll maybe put together talent, maybe directors. You'll package it. To, you'll kind of work on the package together and then pitch us the studio, the idea. And then if we like it, we'll shoot it. And if not, we won't. But that the person who has the deal sometimes they're, they're just a highly paid actor on a hit show they may have a shingle sometimes they're just really pr straight up producers who have a shingle and they will get an executive producer credit on the tv show okay. but not the studio the studio has their own people in charge who oversee the production the on the on the creative side you know uh development executives sure. or current executives they do not get credit on it. That that it'd be, it'd be a Warner Brothers show, so they don't. They I don't. I don't recall ever them ever seeing them ever get credit on a show. 
unless they sometimes get fired or leave the studio or whatever, and then they get their own production shingle. So yeah, uh, that's that's common. That that makes sense because the credit that I'm thinking about that person who has that EP title, there are three of them, and two of them are managers who yeah. sold the show. So they did that. They packaged things right. for Warner to make right. uh, to come. So sometimes, and the, and the other was the producer of this production studio making the show, and they more line producer, but also had a producer credit. Right. Sometimes a manager of a, of the talent of either the writer or the actor may get a producer credit because they negotiate for it. It's not uncommon. Uh, often those managers, it just depends on what they do. Often they don't show up. They might have a parking space right in front of the soundstage, yep. and they never show up. 100%. So that's true for Tacoma FD. And they do show up. They show up for one, maybe two times this uh, season, typically once. They mm -hmm. pop in, spend about half a day, bring their kids, and then they go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's not really that's you know that's just not their focus. Their focus is on kind of selling shows, not actually making them. But occasionally, I know uh, some of them. Uh, Dave Miner is actually pretty active. Uh, I know he helps out. He's, he's one of the ones I'm thinking about. Yep, that yeah. shows up. He's a manager at Three Arts who also has a producer credit, executive producer credit on on his show, and he's involved more in the day to day. But not you know he's not. Um, it's 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 the degree that the showrunners want him to be helpful and he, and he is helpful, but it, it just depends on really the relationship that the producer wants to have on the TV show and the, you know what they want to do and what the showrunner is asking of them. Uh, but I've been on other shows where they have done very little or I've, I was on one show where the producer, the executive producer was a manager of the talent and it seemed like she did everything in her will to help get the show canceled because she was completely inept. And eventually the show was canceled and I was like, boy, are you dumb? But um, it, it happens. So, okay, but they don't, again, they don't raise money. And this is on the TV side. They don't raise money with the exception of occasionally maybe they want to help make a presentation or they put some money together, but they're not financing the show. You, in the rule in Hollywood is you don't want to put your money. Now, if you are creating your own TV show, as I'm talking to my audience, like, like how do you guys break into Hollywood? And I often, you know, I'll often say, hey, put it on film, put it on, you know, put up your YouTube channel. In that case, you are putting your own money. Yes, you will be executive producer putting your own money up, but this is until you break in. And even then, I uh, I don't recommend you putting a lot of money. I'm like, I'm talking about yeah. a couple of thousand, not a hundred, not a million. Listen, episode was it 99 where we talked about that? Mm -hmm. yeah, I think we hit on that. 99 yeah. or 101, but don't, yeah, think about that. Like it's, your it's story not, is probably not going to be worth the, the, but it's still a good learning experience, but it's, yeah, yeah it's not a great return time. on investment. But on the film side, it's a different story. Well, I should say it can be a different story. So yeah. if you're on a, making a film, a producer, or it might have a similar function as like a producer overall deal in TV. They, may, they help put together the project. They have a deal or a shingle at the studio. But again, they're not putting together the money. Uh, the studio is putting together the money. In, on an indie film, it's a little different. Often, indie people, the indie filmmakers have to fundraise. Mm -hmm. And so they'll often say, hey, if you give me $5,000, I'll give you an executive producer title on the show. And yep. so they, in that case, they are helping raise the money. Yep, they're but, finding financiers, financiers to do it. And they're typically like, you know, the ones I know of and the indie films that I've been a part of or... or you know, seen marketing campaigns, they're typically like made their money on pharmaceuticals or their lawyers and you know, mm -hmm. big time lawyers or their business dentists. people. Yeah. Dentists. And they just, the, the, again, we did talk about this recently, but it, oftentimes those people did not pursue their craft in order to pursue the paycheck. And mm -hmm. this is their way of participating. Some of them are, it's a new venture they're trying to get into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's oftentimes, yeah. And oftentimes they're looking at it as a tax write-off. They have money mm -hmm. they have to spend anyway. It's okay if it takes a loss. Why not Why not put on a producer hat and help make an indie film? Right. So the this idea of when people say, I want to be a Hollywood producer, like, why? What exactly, you know, often you don't even know what that means. At the end of the day, if you want to be a producer, you are a producer today. You know, you can be, you, 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 I'm a producer. And it just means you're going to hustle to make it happen. And I've worked with many producers who were really just people who hustled. They weren't, they didn't have uh, some great know-how. They were like, okay, I have a script. How am I going to get the script into the hands of this actor uh, who I don't know? Well, I'll hide it inside of a pizza box. 
you know, and I'll get it. I'll deliver a pizza with the script inside. I've known producers who've done that. They're just hustlers and they manage to put people together. And so that's what a producer is. A producer just makes it happen. And so sometimes I, when people say, um, you know, how do I become a producer? You do it. You just do it. Like yeah. that's, you know, and I've worked, I had on my podcast, Jim Serpico, who was the producer of Marin. He's just like a, he was just like a normal guy who hustled, who was like always figuring out ways to get, to, to, to just to make it happen, to get, uh, you know, if you wanted an actor, he's like, you know, we didn't have an in with the actor. He goes, uh, I'll figure out, I'll call someone who, I'll, I know someone who might know someone who might know this actor. I'll just, I'll make some calls. Give me a minute, you know? And that's what he was. He was just a guy who was hustling to put, to just kind of make it happen. And that's how we learned. That's, the, uh, you know, ultimately Serpico learned a lot more about the business. He was always, he was very hands-on. He was helping scout yeah. and he, he knew how to shoot. And he was really very helpful to have on set. But he really was just a guy who just wanted to do it. Yeah. You know, I'm here to get it done. That was his yeah. attitude. I'm thinking about um, Richard Perello, who is the producing partner of Broken Lizard. And I mm -hmm. had the opportunity to be the producer's assistant on Quasi. And when I was doing that job, I was, you know, the the UPM, the line producer, he's UPM and line producer. And he was also a producer on Quasi. And he's also that on Tacoma FD, this guy named Matt Medlin. He sat down with him. He made it really clear. The producers in film are very different than TV because you can have all of these producers in TV and you have to service them, but on film, there's really one producer and that's the producer on set. They're the creative producer. And that's very much what, what Perello was. So his, his whole point was serve him. If the guys mm -hmm. need something, get it done. But if you can hand it off to PA, do it, just be there for rich. And mm -hmm. that's what I did. I, I, I was there. I was there before him. I had his coffee ready. I had his sides ready. I'd set up his chair. If he had something he needed done, I'd run out. I knew what time to go get his coffee after, after lunch. I'd go get his lunch order. I do all of those things. And at the end, he thanked me because he's like, I just needed to spend that much time. Like you thank you for taking care of me because it allowed me to focus on the set. And when mm -hmm. I was there observing, sitting behind him in the chair in video village, he's like, we need more greens here. We need this yep. here. And, and he did the same thing. He worked with the guys, um, through their indie films on all of their indie film projects and just learned with them negotiating, figuring out how to get things done. And like you mm -hmm. said, they're just hustlers. They get things done. Right. So if, if you a, want to be a producer, producer and you keep it and you're asking, well, how do I break into Hollywood to be a producer? Then you're not a producer because the producer is someone who just gets it done. I will be, they figure it out. And so I would say, if you want to be a producer, you spend some time on set, learn what all the various jobs are, uh, observe, and then, you know, find some kid with a script fresh out of film school or not out of film school and say, right. hey, I want to work with you. Let's let's produce your script. Now yeah, I had an, on the same line of logic. I had another conversation recently with A24 because they told me they want to push me down this producer path and they're, they're open to work with me outside of Tacoma, uh, yeah. depending on what happens if we get picked up. And I said, well, what would be because the next step for me would be a production supervisor which is mm -hmm. part of this producer path. Then the next would be assistant UPM, UPM line producer, and then potentially producer. And I said, what would make me a good production supervisor? And they said, learn learn the production side, learn budgeting. If you could be a line producer's mm -hmm. assistant, if you could sit in on those conversations about money and how much that rig costs or that lens costs mm -hmm. and how much we can afford to do this or that, said, there's no way that's not gonna be helpful as a producer. And then she said, I know you wanna be a writer. So the other thing is the best collaborators also understand production and budget because they are more willing to give and take. They know what to fight for, for the creative. They know mm -hmm. what to let go of. So it's not going to be, it's only helpful as a, someone who wants to be a showrunner as well. Also eight, you know, eight twenty four. they make some really good stuff. Like you, yeah. you I, I know it's not exactly what you want to do in terms of writing, but it's like. Well, it's, it's not something really, I turned down. No, we had, we had conversations about to me going to. Yeah, we had conversations about me going to Houston to be a production supervisor on a film, but it was all dependent on the writer strike. And this was back in oh. April. And everything's I talked to her recently, everything's been pushed into next year on most right. of their production slate. Um, they do have waivers from the Writers Guild, which I don't think people, a lot of people understand. And the waiver mm -hmm. is really that they've agreed to every single term the Writers Guild put out. And they're a yeah. small indie film. They're not one of the big studios. Right. And because of that, the Writers Guild like, sure, if you're going to meet our demands, go ahead, make whatever films you want to do. And they're just yeah. continuing to make them happen. Yeah. Yeah. Hustling. So that's, they're hustling. It's the same hustlers. thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's why everyone, anyone who wants to be a producer, you can be a producer. And you don't have to, uh, you know, ask permission. 
Would you say it's street smarts more than book smarts here? Because I know the book smarts are important from like a budgeting and a finance perspective, but it also seems to me like someone who can just make things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Just that's the, that's the job. Make it happen. Yeah. We were on, like, for example, we were on set on Marin. We're shooting on book locations, the low budget show. We're shooting some neighborhood. And the minute you, the minute they see the people see these trucks, the film trucks, because everything comes in these trucks, like all the equipment, for some reason, the leaf blowers show up that day. Yeah, lawnmowers they, are on. They mm-hmm. call each other. The minute the director yells action, they, you know, suddenly the leaf blowers show up out everywhere. You can't shoot with the leaf. And so, like, the producers say, you know, just hand out $100 bills. Like, that. that's what a producer do. Hand out $100 just to get them to go away. Yep. You know, because it's costing him ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Like every <laughs> every minute or whatever. Every it's hour. definitely a shakedown with these guys. I think it's too, ten but... grand an hour on a low budget um, show. It's it ten be. grand an hour for the set. I talked to this, I was talking to someone about the cost of uh-huh. of that. It's it's yeah. crazy. So it's worth a thousand dollars to keep yeah. the machine running. Yeah. So, but that's what a good producer will do. Uh, you know. Also, if the, you know, if it looks like rain, a producer will figure out. Uh, all right, it will work with the associate producer, uh, uh, first assistant, yeah, first, first AD. AD to figure out what the shooting schedule will be. Okay, we'll maybe we'll move this around. And sometimes the director will get in that conversation as well as the showrunner. But often you'll just turn to the producer. What do you want to do? Uh, you yeah. know, as a showrunner, I don't really give a crap. Whatever, whatever. What do you want to do? Yeah, um, that's the other thing that's interesting that I, I don't think a lot of people understand is when you're making these projects. I always in my head assumed they would be shot linearly and they're not. They're block no. shot because they have to be because the expense of moving the equipment and setting up shots, it's such a time suck and you're paying all those people for those man hours. Mm-hmm. It's just easier to shoot. We're in the we're in the garage, shoot everything in the garage right now. Yeah. So you have actors coming in and they're shooting the last scene of a movie first thing. And they have spent, you know, maybe two or three rehearsals right. with their with their co-stars. And it's this incredibly emotional moment. And then they have to jump right into the levity of the first act. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's really fascinating that yeah. the complexity of a schedule. And that's, again, something I would have assumed a producer would do. And it's no, the first AD does it. And then the producer vets it to make sure it's going to make meet the budget, like the line producer. The, yeah. You know. And then before that scene is shot, as part of the showrunner's job, we'll run up to the actors and say, okay, just to re- refresh your memory, because we're shooting so much out of order. Sometimes we're shooting not just scenes out of order, but we're shooting ep- entire episodes. Yep. We're shooting episode two and episode three at the yep. same time. Block shooting episodes. We would do that all the time on Tacoma. And so we would run up to the actors before, you know, we're doing it before the, each scene. Okay, just to re- refresh your memory, this is where we are in the storyline. This is what you're playing here. Because if you read it, you might think, okay, I should be happy. But no, you're you're mad at this person from the earlier yeah. scene. So. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you. And it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammin.com slash watch list. That's another thing I've seen too, which I think is incredibly valuable, is really good showrunners make the actors sit down and read the scripts out loud with them to make sure that they read everything. Because mm-hmm. I've oh. seen a propensity for actors to just read their lines and they don't understand how it fits into the full thing. And that's not yeah. all actors. It's definitely not all actors, but I've seen a lot of actors do that. I have not worked on a show where that was a problem, but now that you mentioned I, I have to probably keep my eye open it. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm sure in some shows actors can get lazy but I, I haven't worked on you know because Marin was a little different Marin it was uh he was the only regular and it because of the budget and everyone else was a guest star meaning we would hire that actor for maybe five out of 13 episodes they were not regulars a regular means you're on every single episode so if you're a guest star and you're only doing five episodes you're gonna come prepared you're not gonna mm-hmm. you know sleepwalk your way through it and so Mark was always prepared and the uh although Often <laughs> it was always prepared, but easily confused given how much he had to do in every single episode. Yeah. Uh, so you had to go up, you know, just remind him where he was emotionally in each episode. But but for the actors, the guest stars, they were always well. Oh yeah, you're on it. Well, you're on. Yeah, it. they're on it because they knew well, they were that's going to work. You know, hats off to Serpico too on that too. What is he? How many days a day? Two and a half days to shoot an episode? Yeah, and it's towards the end of, we we got three. But that's, that's crazy. Wild. It is crazy. Wild. We had right. I think is it. 
eight days we would block shoot so over two weeks we'd shoot two episodes right so i think it comes out to be like five days per episode yeah and it's it's still like skinning your teeth getting by to get everything yeah so we were really uh run and gun and i used to say as long as someone's finger wasn't in the lens we got it move on <laughs> there wasn't enough time and so we would shoot everything in a you know we would shoot we block the scene shoot the first thing in a first run in a master which is kind of like a rehearsal but you're in a master so you're you're wide so if the actor is not perfect it's fine you're only going to use the master sure. to, as to open the scene and to end the scene and maybe a couple times in the middle and so we'd shoot the master and then go into coverage which means going immediately to close-ups uh wow. no, overs. No, no mediums or anything like that very few no and no. then because you don't have time you don't have time and occasionally in each episode we would give the director maybe one or two vanity shots like all right fine you want to set up a crane or whatever you know okay you can but you you get you don't have many of those but i worked on another show god it was so annoying it was the director we had more time and he decided to put a, a camera on it was a car scene he wanted to install a camera like on the edge of the car so we can get a close-up of the the wheel as the car is racing down the street and we use that shot for like half a second and it took hours to set this stupid shot up and i'm like what do we why are we doing that like what's the point of this who cares is anyone impressed by seeing the wheel of a car as it races down like who cares like that's not what this show is so yeah. uh sometimes i feel like there you can put more you can waste time with, with shots that are completely unnecessary for you know the audience is not going to appreciate it more i don't think anybody's going to appreciate it well, anyone listening to this who is interested in indie film, what you're describing and the way you shot Marin is indie film. It's oh yeah. What is yeah. it like on average? And correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's three pages per day is like a good shooting day for a TV show or a feature. Mm -hmm. And a feature might be half a day, half a page because they're yeah. doing bigger, broad. You know, stuff. no, we were doing but sometimes yeah, eleven indies pages a day. Indies is ten. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. indies we were, is ten. You're sometimes doing we did eleven. It was like man, we got a lot to do. <laughs> a lot to do. So it's crazy. Uh, Oh yeah, that's, and it was. That's, I can't imagine that. Like the crew mm -hmm. just hustling nonstop. Yeah, they were hustling, and you know, there's just no time to waste. Uh, wow. And and no one, but when you watch that show, no one thought, you know, no, no one thought it was like, like it was sloppy. Felt like every you know? every other high quality film. Yeah, and I think what's cool about that too, and I think you learn this when you study indie film, is there's a style that comes out of that. The minimalism. Mm -hmm. almost adds to the value and then yeah. we've talked on the podcast previously about the, like the value of like an art director or an art supervisor and, and how they can come in and, and really change things and on Marin we talked about like the photos and the, mm -hmm. they're out of focus and that's that's where the the art is and the mise-en-scene and, and everything else that's happening in the in the scene the music comes into play to pick things up but yeah it's it's fascinating the, the, the thing is I would prefer as crazy as that sounds I would prefer to do another show like that as opposed to a big budget show. I, faster, let's shoot it faster. I just like it better. Well, Buddy uh, System was pretty quick too. I mean, we shot yeah, Buddy it was almost e Yeah, Buddy System was equally <laughs> fast. Yeah. Uh, I, I just like, and even still, it feels when you're on set, it's like, oh, this, this is so boring. Because mm -hmm. even still, it takes a long time to get each shot. So I don't get it when, um, uh, but also, you know, I, there wasn't a lot of people being self-indulgent on Marin. Like a lot of actors, I was like, no, stop horsing around. Know your lines because we don't have time. So yeah. uh, it, it, it forces people to focus. And and you know what? The crew, they loved it. I think they got paid less than another show. other shows. There was no yeah. overtime on Marin, but they loved it because they wanted to go home with their family. They didn't want to spend their lives on set. Sure. They were happy to work 12, 13 hours a day, go home. Yeah, so. yeah, that's awesome. Well, I want to highlight one thing that you were talking about here when you're what you're describing as a showrunner is why the showrunner is the executive producer. You have to dictate what shots are important. You have to dictate the stone mm -hmm. and the tone and style of the show. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure your actors are prepared. You have to make sure your actors understand what are going on. Mm -hmm. And I know there's specific union rules about like who's allowed to talk to the actors and who isn't right. allowed to the doctors who can talk to the background and who can't. But the fact that the showrunner is there to serve the entirety of the production Mm -hmm. rather than just the ego of an actor and understanding things at every yeah. detail the nuances of which hat which which ashtray what color is the the car we're using you're making all of those decisions to sculpt yeah. and build this that is a producer 
Like you're, you're yeah, and that. often, like you want to say a black car, and the producer says, you know, that car is going to cost a thousand dollars more than a silver car. And he's, all right, let's get the silver one. Like I, you know, I, I don't, I'll, I'll live with it. But also, there were times, plenty of times, when we were running Marin, where it's like the director would set up a shot, and I'd yell off, "We're not going to use this shot, so keep it going." I'm not going to, I'm telling you, because the correct, the co, the showrunner has final say over cut, not the director in TV. Yeah. So I'd say, I'm not going to use this shot. So don't waste time getting it. Spend your time somewhere else on a different shot uh, that you'll yeah. like, but not this one. Because, but that comes you know, from decade, a decade plus of doing the work yeah. of writing and being on sets. And I think that's another main thing that they're talking about with the strikes. The ability for writers yeah. to be on TV sets has gone away because- Unless your showrunner wants to invite you to the set, which, you know, um, praise to Kevin and Steve, they will always invite the writers when their episode is mm -hmm. shooting and they can come sit in Video Village and hang right. with the actors and watch their show get made. But a lot of productions, writers are not on staff and they have to have, they have to work. So they go get another writing job and they're sitting mm -hmm. in another room writing. You don't learn any and of this stuff. Yeah. You're not learning how to be a showrunner. That's a lot of what the writers get striking about right now yep. too is right. staffing minimums, but it's also standards of how many people you want to have on set. So you, people can learn, um, you know, the job right. of running a show. Right. There are times where let's say, let's say you're shooting. It's an emotional scene and they're covering in a, in a, it's a, um, uh, well, let's say he's shooting it in a wide and it's an emotional scene. I'm not going to play it in a wide. I'm playing the close up. It's emotional. I'm going to be in a close up. Or if it's, you, it's, a, it's a two shot. Uh, and and also, I, I know to make the joke pop, I'm not going to play it in a two shot. I'm going to play jokes often have to play in, in singles or overs. So you get someone says a joke and the other person reacts to it. And it's the reaction that's funny. And if you play it in a two shot, it's not funny. And so mm -hmm. there are things like this that you learn on set. As an experienced showrunner or, or whatever writer, you'll learn on set that you are not going to learn if you if you're not there. And so, yes, that's a, this is partly what the what the strike is over. Sometimes they're you're getting shot coverage, and they've crossed the line, mm -hmm. and so these shots don't. You match. want to define that for your for your. Listeners so hard to explain to without drawing it out. But I, basically, do you, me, do you want me to explain it? Or you you want to? I can explain it, but it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine what it Google is so, crossing the line because you'll see an image of it but i think for the listeners yeah. you are in their car so imagine you're shooting okay so imagine you're shooting a multi-camera sitcom on a stage or, or any a, a play on a stage so the line is between separates the actors and the audience there's a line there imaginary line and so the the audience never crosses the line to watch you know, come across that line to be on the actor's side and the actors never cross the line to be on the audience's side. And so when you're shooting a scene, imagine that the cameras are on the audience side. They're always behind that line and, the, and they never cross the line. And the problem is once you cross that line with a camera, the images get flipped. So it's right, yeah. So it's very disjointing when you cut in post because all of a sudden you you someone was on the left and now they're on the right. 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 So if I'm talking to you and this shot here, you're, we're doing this video podcast, I'm looking right at Phil and Phil is looking left at me. That's how it's always going to be. I'm always looking right at Phil. I'm and we intentionally right. talked about that when we were setting up the video podcast. Mm -hmm. Who's looking right, who's looking left, so that there was this line so it wasn't disjointed. I don't now set my, pod, my camera up on the right-hand side. And I'm on, I'm on vacation, so I like, have this yeah. other camera. But normally, if you look at it, it looks like we're having a conversation looking at each other. For the most part, in maybe in a movie or TV show, you're you're, you're not gonna the camera's not gonna cross the line because it becomes disorienting unless the director wants to disorient you, which is okay. That's a that's a creative the, choice. The other place would do it, and there's a book on directing I read really early on in my studies that talked about this, this principle, and it was really hard for me to understand. So that's why I'm saying you should Google it, like Michael was telling you to do. But imagine there's a parade coming down the street, and you're watching it from this angle. And if you jump to the other side, it's flipped. That's the flip. But if your camera moves on a dolly around the other side in your brain, you now understand, but you can't yeah. go back to the other side now. Right, so you can right. flip it, but you can't hopscotch back and forth. Yeah, you that's can reestablish a line. You can always Correct. establish a new line. But one of the mo most difficult things for a director to shoot is not a car chase. It's not an explosion. It's four people sitting at a dining room table. 
it's wild. that's really hard to shoot yeah. the blocking it, in that is wild you see these yeah these they literally chart it out in like a cad yeah. software and it says this person's looking here and this person's looking here and you have yeah. where your camera goes so that you are meticulous about that yeah which is why you'll often see as a cheat you'll see if it's a if it's a table two one character sitting on one side, then two characters sitting on the other side. They're not sitting all around the table. They're just sitting on opposite ends of the table. And even that's kind of difficult to shoot. Uh, so, yeah. So, and, and I'm not a director, although I have directed, but I still, when I have, when I have to work on scenes like that, I have a pencil and pad making notes to figure out if, if we're shooting on the right side of the line. <laughs> it's yeah. so complicated. Um, yeah, it's the three-dimensional chess. You're just, like, yeah. You're, yeah. And, it's easy for a deep a good dp can do it no, no problem they, they, they can see it and, and they'll tell you too they'll warn you they'll warn you yeah and the scripty will be able to they'll be able to help you as well but often the director is not so much of a help <laughs> because that's just not what they're worried about or they maybe they don't have the experience to worry about it and so as a showrunner i kind of uh i busied myself one season of marin learning all about this but it took a season to figure out how to do this um yeah because i don't know i'm a slow learner but um anyway so that has nothing to do with being, being a producer, but there's a- Well, it does because you have to pay attention to those things and you have to know those things, right? So as, a, as an executive producer and for your audience right now that, you know, is, and not predominantly like we talked about at the beginning, but largely screenwriters or people who are interested in film, I think that it's really important for them to understand that you're not just showing up, you know, smoking a cigar in a chair, no. barking orders. You're focused and paying attention you have binders with notes. You have everyone yeah. coming to you with a thousand questions over yeah. and over again. Yeah. That's and producing. I'm lucky because I have a writing partner. So if I don't have the answer, I can punt it to him and he'll probably have the answer. But uh, but we we divide, divide, we often divide responsibilities that way. Because, so I can under, I understand the cameras a little better. And he does all the, he does as much of the other. Uh, he's really good at figuring out where we are in the script and whose attitude who knows what at which more like like man how do you remember all this stuff but he also looks at me the same thing how do you know all this stuff about the camera <laughs> so <laughs> and that's why when people say i want to be a showrunner it's like hold on do you know what a showrunner does like right. it's a hard job um yeah the writers you know, guild has training programs on this because yeah. it is difficult and again it's part of the strike because they're like they're seeing there there's there's this is my opinion just my opinion, but I think a lot of times corporations, like I get it, like their job is to maximize profits and their job is to satisfy the demands of their shareholders. And that's a quarterly, it's a quarterly game. Four times a year, they're just making moves to satisfy that. And yeah. the writers get looking at it as, you know, 20, 30 years down the road, what they see this hole where there's going to be a gap where no one's going to know how to run a show when this mm. group of showrunners retires or moves on. Yeah. Because there's not going to be anyone with that skill set and that knowledge because they don't have the repetitions and the time on set yeah. and the observation. And we haven't even talked about post and the value of being in post to learn mm -hmm. these things too. Uh, we can't use that shot because this, or there's a better take. Um, the notes that I have to manage and maintain for the showrunner in mm -hmm. order to get, you know, I give him the Lemmy so that he can sit in post and understand what shots were taken, all the scripting notes, everything. They're going through everything to make those decisions in post. And it's largely that stuff than those decisions being made on the day when they're filming. Yeah. The thing is, you mentioned the show, the showrunners program with the writers called, I had a guest on here, Alex Berger, who I worked yeah. with many years ago, and he's at the level now where he's ready to get his own show. He just hasn't gotten his own show, but he took uh, uh, the showrunners program at the writers Guild. It's a free program you have to apply for though. Yeah. And um, he says that he learned a lot. And I was like, Oh, tell me what you learned. And I was, I was interested to know, what he learned because like you know i've run three shows but it doesn't mean i know i'm doing it because yeah. i never went through the program so i was like oh that makes sense um yeah i found but, out about that show and again we i've talked about this documentary many times but it's um showrunner the art of tv writer. yeah uh, but that show that's great and they go in and they talk about that program and they interview the director of the program and what the job mm -hmm. is and the thing that really stood out to me was quality scripts on time that's the main thing mm -hmm. like yeah. that's your job but yeah. that's that that is the linchpin and you know, we, um, my assistant, Kevin, I, I hired an assistant at my agency who's a script coordinator and he worked on a bunch of shows. Um, but he was telling us that one of the shows he was working on got canceled because the showrunner was not turning in scripts on time and a sure. very well known showrunner too. Yeah, it definitely happens. Um, and on most of the shows we do, we try to get all the scripts done in pre-production and the, the crew 
the production staff is so grateful because that way they can plan ahead. They can decide which episodes to shoot. There's not a mad, it's a hard enough job as it is without getting the script the night before. Imagine getting the script the night before and then they telling them, okay, now we have to, you have to find a, a uh, I don't know, a roller rink to shoot in the day of the next day. Like, how are they going to do that? So yeah. you have to get, the, you know, this is when, this is when things get dangerous when people are overworked or working late and, uh, yeah, cutting corners. So it's the job of the showrunner. And I think what the problem is, is, you know, I've been lucky. I've had studios with, because these low budget shows that the studios are very most, for the most part, hands off and they let you do your job. But on a high budget show, the studio may throw out a script the night before. Ah, we don't like it. And it's like, well, damn, do you understand what kind of stress this is going to put, not just on the showrunner, but the entire crew? And the families know? of the crew and the showrunner yeah. as well. I know there are, people on our crew who are working on the reshoots of Thor Love and Thunder and they were working 14 hour days seven days a week for two weeks straight terrible um, and it's it's just like hey it's gonna make a billion dollars we'll pay mm-hmm. all of the overages and it'll all come out in the wash we, we just gotta right. get it done right and they did it just shooting on a studio in Burbank and then they have to drive home at three yeah. or four in the morning and then have turnaround you know? yeah yeah Oh, it's, it's, I mean, these crew members are really hard. It's a hard, uh, it can be a hard job. It can be a hard life. And so yeah, you're getting home at 4am yeah. and then wait, you know, going to bed, you miss your kids, you wake up. I mean, even just, and I'll just say this, like when I had my first kid, I, we were shooting, um, we were shooting quasi the, my kid was almost a year old and there were days I didn't see my kid, like weeks I didn't see my kid. Cause I'd leave in the morning before she got up. And I mm-hmm. come home before she went to bed or right. after she went to bed. I that's hate that. Hard I hate break. that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's, that's what, that's what it was. And it was, you know, 30 days of that and then right. it was over. And I was just very, at least that you can see the circle. end in sight. At least you go, okay, it's 30 days. I can, but if you, if this is your life yeah. and you know, okay, it's 30 days now, but your next movie is also 30 days. And then 30 days after that, a different movie. It's like, that becomes really hard. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that speaks to as well what your priorities are and what you want out of life. We talk about how if you want to be a writer, you have to learn how to write and you have to write for free and you have to get notes and get feedback. You have to learn all these skill sets. But mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people think about the quality of life that they want to have. Yeah. And there are yeah. a lot of people. I mean, I think when I told you I was having a kid, you had you were telling me that you had a, an assistant or someone that you knew was a really good writer, really talented, and they just moved out of L.A. because it just no longer fit their family lifestyle. You can't remember who you were telling me. I don't remember who that was. You, I yeah, we. I remember we had the conversation because it was like, literally you were telling them that. And then I was like, oh, by the way, I'm having a kid. Like right after that. Yeah. Because yeah. you just, you, things shift and things change. Priorities change when you have yeah, a family. Priorities or, change. You know, if you don't want to have a family, you know, and you, you're happy and you just want to make a, a career, awesome and good, good for you. It's a balance. And I have a very supportive wife who lets me, chase my dreams and do my things and she but it could also be feast or famine it can also be you know you don't want to turn down this job because you don't know when your next job's coming so yeah imagine if i didn't have an agency that i'd built for the last decade i'd be in a real bad spot right now with two kids yeah exactly yeah right i was i I remember a lot of people like that i said you're smart to have this other income stream multiple income streams you know in hollywood so yeah well there we go phil Good stuff. Any, we did it. any we, other thoughts on producing or? I don't know. I think I, I think I hit it. Do you have anything you have, you want to add to this? No, I, I just, um, you know, I think it was a very helpful conversation. I hope people found it as, in, I found it very enjoyable personally. I mean, just hearing you talk about these things and the nuances, it's yeah. just kind of sets, sets the stage for what the job really is. And I think the mistake or the folly we often run into as creatives is we have this, delusion of grandeur that we're going to make it in Hollywood and we're going to win an Oscar and we're going to do these things. Mm -hmm. And you have to have a little bit of that suspension of disbelief, which is what we ask our audience to have. We have to suspend our disbelief about the reality of what our world looks like to chase our dreams and our goals. Mm -hmm. But we also need to be grounded and understand what the stakes are. And I think that's one of the values that you bring in the podcast. And Mm -hmm. what we see from people talking about, it's just every, we just read the reviews the other day, just going through a bunch of them. And you and I, you know, we're really appreciative for anybody who's leaving reviews. So if you enjoy Yeah, please go leave us a review on Apple if you like our show. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, you know, 
people are just like, there's gold. Every episode's full of gold and wisdom. I, I just really think that it's a credit to your realistic take on all of this. Michael. Yeah. I just think you're just preparing <laughs> another generation of writers and producers and creatives to just understand, like you may never make it in the way you think you will, but it's still worth pursuing. If you, yeah. if you want to just keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's a good, that's a good point because I do know before I wrap it up, I, I have spoken with people who chase the money after college because for various reasons and all of them may be completely legit. Maybe they didn't grow up with money. And so, you know, having money in the pocket really felt good, you know, mm -hmm. uh, some stability, but then they reach a certain age where the money does no longer fill the, fill the hole. Uh, and so then they start chasing, they want to do something a little more creative with their life. So there's a Ben Fold song called The Ascent of Stan. And it's talking about this corporate guy who gets laid off after like 30 years and he goes home and he puts his slide deck in and he projects it onto the wall and traces it because he's going to paint this thing. And it's just all pointless. Like, what is my life? Is basically what is like, what has my life been? I put 20, 30 years into this corporation and they just escorted me out one day. And oh, yeah. I'm just trying to find my art again. And it's like, what's yeah. the point? But you don't need you don't need anyone's permission to to start uh, making your art today. Maybe we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk more about that in another podcast. But um, yeah, yeah you, you don't. Yeah, don't wait for don't wait for just start doing it. Just start creating it. You know, love it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. We got a lot of good free stuff on on my website. Go visit it, and you can get all the things. You can get a free screenwriting lesson. You can get an invitation to my free screenwriting webinar, which I, we do every few weeks another one coming up you, well i don't know when this airs who knows uh, there's always get, one coming up at this point which is always one a lot of really good feedback you like can it. get uh learn more about my book paper orchestra when that drops you can see me on tour you can just get the book the audio book working on you can get uh a, a sample script that i wrote or a couple sample scripts you could get what else can you get Phil? the newsletter the weekly the newsletter, newsletter. <laughs> we give away phil's in yeah, charge of all giving away phil's in charge of giving it all away <laughs> Uh, I so, just take from Michael, guys. That's all he do, gives it just, away. I'm Robin Hood, and he's you know we're just <laughs> handing it to the to the masses. But it's all go to MichaelJammon.com. You, you asked me it. to give it away. To be clear, everyone, Michael's like, hey, hey, if I wanted to learn from someone, I'd want to read their script. Can we put my scripts up here? I'm like, yeah, I'll figure out how to make the form and the email auto drip campaign work, and make sure the he's, tags are functioning. And yep, he's the digital marketer. So you go check out Rook SEO as well if you want to, if you for all your digital marketing needs. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much. Until next week, keep right. writing. Thanks, guys. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jammon and Phil Hudson. If you're interested in learning more about writing, make sure you register for Michael's monthly webinar at michaeljammon.com slash webinar. If you found this podcast helpful, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. For free screenwriting tips, follow Michael Jammon on social media at Michael Jammon Writer. You can follow Phil Hudson on social media at Phil A. Hudson. This podcast was produced by Phil Hudson. It was edited by Dallas Crane. Music by Ken Joseph. Until next time. Keep writing.